1: I'm Greg Olson, and this is TE1, the podcast where we explore the evolution of the tight end position through conversations with some of the best players of all time. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the final episode of TE1. I'm your host, Greg Olson, and today I'll be talking to Cole Komet. To bring an end to this series and bring an end to this conversation of this evolution of today's modern tight end through the eyes, ears, and and experiences of some of the best who have ever played the position, we bring the story to a close with Notre Dame second-round draft pick of the Chicago Bears, Cole Komet. When we set out to create this show and we knew where we wanted it to start, with Mike Dicka and we knew we wanted it to end with somebody who had never stepped foot on an NFL field. Somebody that didn't know what it was like to run out there on Sundays. Somebody that just had no idea what it meant to be an NFL tight end. And we just thought, what better place to end it with Cole Komet, second round draft pick, first tight end taken off the board in the most recent 2020 draft, going to a storied NFL franchise that I know firsthand how they consider their tight ends to be such an important part of the fabric of that city and to the fabric of their organization I just think it was the perfect way to end this series he was a great conversation gave great perspective into some of the trials of what it was like preparing for an NFL combine preparing for an NFL draft in the midst of a global pandemic he just provided a lot of context and a lot of perspective that we couldn't get from anyone else and uh, it was a great listen and, and I really enjoyed having Cole as part of this episode First off, man, thanks so much. How's everything going?
2: Everything's good, man. I appreciate you having me on and excited to talk some ball with you and get to know you through this. So, yeah. uh, yeah.
1: For anybody who doesn't know, obviously, Cole, you you grew up in Chicago. Your father played for the Bears for a short (coughs) time with Jim McMahon and some of those legendary Bears kind of icons. Just take us back. You're growing up in Arlington Heights, Illinois. I Mm -hmm. lived in Long Grove, Illinois, which was right down the street when I played Mm -hmm. for the Bears. Just, Just talk about... Growing up there, what it meant to be a Bears fan, what was your childhood like and how did it relate to growing up around the Bears?
2: Obviously with my dad who played professionally and, you know, ended his career with the Bears and also having my uncle who played seventeen years in the NFL grown up in a football family and the Bears were just a hometown team for me and you know, a team that I really rooted for growing up. And I can remember going back to when they made the Super Bowl a while back ago and after they beat the Saints and they went down to play the Colts with Paint Manning and stuff and I remember my parents actually went down to that game and stuff and I stayed home with my grandma and we watched that game and they ended up losing the game and I was crying and my grandma was like, you know, why, why, uh, why are you so upset? And like, oh, I just missed my parents, but it was all just about them losing the game. So it means a lot. And, you know, the people around here are really passionate about their football and about the Chicago Bears. And it's pretty special now to be a part of that organization that I've been rooting for my whole life.
1: Yeah, I remember watching that Super Bowl as well. So I was actually training for the draft. So I was down in Miami, just had declared for the draft a few months earlier, was training down in Miami, and the Super Bowl was down in Miami. And the Bears, and like you said, Peyton obviously beat them, the Colts. And two months later, I ended up getting drafted by them. And you were seven, and I was starting I was starting my career. So yeah, crazy, crazy. <laughs> pretty wild. But yeah. So so you're growing up in Arlington Heights. You're a baseball player, and yeah. by a lot of accounts, a really good baseball player. That's a, yeah. a very common thread to a lot of the guys that I've talked to, especially for this podcast series. Nobody just played football and nobody played tight end. Right. Everybody was just a multi sport athlete growing up, and then tight end just kind of found them. In high school, growing up as a kid, were you a tight end? I, I know you were a multi sport athlete, but as it, mm-hmm. as it came to football, you, if you say yes, you're the first guy that I've interviewed that yeah. would ever play tight ends. Because I know yeah, I didn't. No.
2: no, I didn't. I think the position is kind of like a position in terms of like a ultimate athlete in terms of being able to go run and go block defensive ends. So yeah. you always kind of want to be something else, I guess you could say. And it kind of just morphs into you being a tight end, whether you – me growing into becoming 6'6 and 260, like it just kind of – you fit that mold at certain point. There's not many people that fit that mold. But, yeah, I know growing up like – you know my dad was a defensive end and that was always something i loved playing was was defense you know being a linebacker being a d end and in high school i was playing receiver quarterback doing everything i think tight end finds you
1: i, I don't I, think that's what i
2: think yeah i don't
1: think yeah. anybody sets out as a young kid like dreaming of being a tight end maybe those days are changing maybe mm-hmm. this maybe this series kind of opens everybody's eyes to how much yeah. better the position is than then maybe it's perceived. But uh I think growing up, all of us play running back and receiver, and you yeah. go wherever the ball is, and then mm-hmm. you kind of grow into it. Maybe you're too slow to play receiver and they think you can yeah. get a little bigger. I think we all kind of share that that same story. But I, I found it interesting in eighth grade, you almost stopped playing. Yeah. The game yeah. of your, your yeah. football journey almost ended mm-hmm. before it even really started. You were a great baseball player. The White Sox would go on to eventually offer you a contract when you were in Notre Dame what went into that process? Where were you mentally? What led you to even consider making that decision? And then what eventually led you to, thank God, change your mind and go on to have a great high school career that's now allowed you to to reach this level?
2: Yeah. Going back to that, like seventh, eighth grade years, you know, I I loved playing football at the time, but I also loved playing baseball too. And I was kind of at that age where, you know, that seventh, eighth grade age, like you got kids that are shooting up to, you know, six, two, six, three. And I was kind of like a late bloomer in that sense where I wasn't growing that much. I was still like 5'9", 5'10", like kind of just hanging around there. I was nowhere near as strong as these other kids. I hadn't gone through those changes yet, like, you know, really developed yet. And at that point, I was kind of questioning whether football was the right sport for me. You know, was I going to be big enough? Was I going to be strong enough? Was I going to be fast enough? I was still a fluid athlete in that sense. And, you know, baseball just kind of came easy. I was just really thinking about maybe just focusing on on baseball and, and going all in on that. But you know, I had a really good coach uh, back in peewee ball that kind of just convinced me to come out for another year and like, you know, have fun and we're going to find like a position for you. I was kind of like positionless at the time. You know, I wasn't big enough to play offensive line, but I really wasn't a receiver or anything else like that. So I kind of started playing this like H back role where you're playing a fullback and starting flexing out. And I think that's kind of when I started really kind of liking that type of tight end position. So yeah, that year, like I kind of refell in love again with football and kind of went on through high school. And then I, you know, sort of grown a ton and shot up to, you know, six, four by the end of high school. And yeah, that kind of took care of itself. But yeah, there was definitely a moment there where, you know, I didn't really know if football was for me just because of where I was at, like in, in my growing stages and stuff.
1: Yeah, that that's this difference for young kids. And I had this conversation with my two sons all the time. They want to play tackle football, especially my nine-year-old. And I tell him, I said, you know, the difference between football when you're a young kid and you know, he plays baseball. They both play baseball, he plays basketball. You know, you can kind of survive in the other sports if you just mm-hmm. have some skill. You know, yeah. you don't have to be tall, you don't have to be big and strong really to play baseball. Do you have eye hand? Can you swing? Can you catch, throw? But in football, you can have all the skill you want. If if you're mm-hmm. in eighth grade and there's a kid who's 50 pounds, 60 pounds heavier than you, it's hard going it, it, to practice, it, it man. It it's hard. It's, you don't want mom dropping you off at practice and go get your ass kicked by these big guys. That's football is just a different animal when you're a young kid and you're either yeah. cut out for it or you're not. The physicality of the game kind of separates kids, man. Some days yeah. getting dropped off at football practice as a kid, there's sucks, no, yeah. there's no way around it. It's so, oh, yeah. Oh yeah. It's yeah. a lot more fun being dropped off at baseball BP spits, yeah. sunflower yeah. seeds and go yeah. have Long toss.
2: Right. For sure.
1: Fortunately for you and, for a lot of people, you you obviously decide to stick with football.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you go on to the University of Notre Dame. For Chicago kids, that's kind of a local school. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. And myself, having originally signed to go to Notre Dame, I yeah. knew very well the area. I knew very well the connections to the city of Chicago. My recruiting process was a little different than, than most. I had an older brother who was one grade ahead of me who originally signed with the University of Notre Dame when Tyrone sure. Willingham was the coach. Uh, went and played his freshman year there. So through the whole recruiting process, the idea of playing with him was super appealing to me and my family. Mm-hmm. Um, signed with them my letter of intent at a high school. Went and spent the summer. Shortly after being there, just wasn't for me. He left. I knew I wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for him. So I ended up transferring down to University of Miami before it started. But the tight end at Notre Dame now, I mean, it's not Miami. <laughs> but but the tight end all seriousness the tight end position at Notre Dame has become along with Iowa and you know there's Notre Dame has produced as many tight ends in the NFL as any school and you obviously being the latest
2: Yeah I mean that was one of the draws for me and I think kind of having that local feel to it and them having that type of pr- tradition and also kind of the fit for me was just kind of the reasons why I went there and yeah I think it takes a certain type of person not everyone's going to like it you know I'm, I'm sure when you got there you it's a little different and you got to be you know willing to confine to what Notre Dame has and some people like it some people It's a good don't. way to put it that's a yeah. good way to put it yeah i think some people like it and some people don't i think yeah. it was funny my dad was recruited by Notre Dame didn't end up going there i don't think it was for him so like yeah. that wasn't his school so like it's it's definitely it it fits a certain type of person and you know the people that try and force it. You know you're probably not going to have too much success there,
1: just because it's it's a little different than other places. So what was that recruiting process? I mean, you were all everything, mm-hmm. um, Army All American game, the whole thing. What, yeah. what what schools did you did you take any other visits? Did you know if Notre Dame came calling that that's where you were going to go? Did you have an open recruiting process? What what was that like?
2: Yeah, so for me it ended pretty early. So my junior season is when I committed to Notre Dame, but I was really looking at um, Ohio State as another okay. one because I grew up. I grew up loving uh, Urban Meyer at at Florida. That was like my thing. Like I want to go to Florida and play for for Urban Meyer. And so obviously he took his break and then went to Ohio State. Yep. And they had just won the national championship. And I went on a visit there and like I was loving it. And, you know, they really wanted me and I know they needed some tight ends. And I was really close to going there. But at the end of the day, like I took a visit to Notre Dame and it just kind of felt like home to me. And I knew that was kind of the place that I had to end up at.
1: Well, you go there, you you play as a true freshman, mm-hmm. you, you contribute, you play, you have three really good years. Mm-hmm. In the fall of 2019, you originally said you were gonna come back. You were gonna come back for your senior yeah. year. Yeah. And then obviously after the season ended, you had second thoughts, you declared for the draft, mm-hmm. and of course ended up getting drafted by the Bears. So what changed? You know, going into this past season, you were regarded as the number one tight end eligible for the draft, if not, you know, one or mm-hmm. two. You know, so why not come back for a senior year and maybe get to that first round level? Did you feel like you had unfinished business? Did you feel like you had nothing left to prove? Well, I think going
2: back to the start of the year, I'd come off my sophomore season where I had a high high ankle sprain that kind of stuck with me for four or five games. So I was kind of limited for about half the season. And I didn't really put up the numbers that, you know, I could have if I was fully healthy, but I was kind of just lagging along. And I knew coming in my sophomore year, like, I was going to be playing a lot and, you know, I could contribute a lot. And then, the, and then the high school spring kind of derailed that a little bit. And so coming into my junior season, I didn't really put any expectations out. Like, okay, I'm trying to get out this year, you know? And I, I ended up putting like a really good season together. And obviously when November came around and we had our final game was when things kind of hit and, you know, I had to talk to my parents. We kind of had that talk as to what I wanted to do. There was talks about, you know, if I do declare and decide, like, do you
1: skip out on the bowl game? Cause like now it's a business yeah, decision. Like, right. that's, that's, a hard that's decision. yeah, that was not the case when I was coming out. That's yeah, a whole new world right now. It
2: is. And like, and I totally get it and I totally get and I respect the people that do those things. Cause yep. at the end of the day, like you got to treat your body, how you want it. Totally. To and at that point, I wasn't really certain as to what I wanted to do. And I just said, Hey, like I need to play this bowl game and then I'm going to make the decision and played the bowl game you know, really thought I was gonna be coming back and came back. We were in Orlando at the time and came back from, uh, from the game and, you know, I was talking and I was like, Hey, I think, you know, I want to go back to school. You know, I was telling my parents and, you know, they were kind of like, all right, like, you know, give it a couple of days and like, see how you feel. I was kind of off a high, you know, from winning the bowl game and being with all my buddies and all that stuff. And right. I still wanted to go out and win a national championship. That was a goal of mine. So I think after a couple of days though, staying at home and realizing, all right, you know, it's back to school, back to this, back to that. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm the, I'm gonna be the number one guy this year. Like you know, this has been my dream since I was five, six years old. Like let's go do this thing. So at that point, I just realized kind of had to make a self decision for myself. But of like course. this has been my dream my whole life, and from there on out, it just kind of took care of itself.
1: Yeah, I, I so my so I after my third year, so I redshirted. I was ineligible after I got after I transferred to Miami. Yeah. I wasn't gonna play there as a true freshman. They were loaded at the position. Uh played as a redshirt freshman in like a reserved role. And then my my third year, my redshirt sophomore year, we had a good season. I was my first year really playing mm-hmm. and contributing a lot. And the season ended kind of crummy and we lost some games. And I was really close to coming out. I was like, you know what? Like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna give it a shot. I'm young. It wasn't a great tight end class. It was pretty good. There was a couple first yeah. round guys. Um Talked to a few guys around the league that that my dad knew and we had some feelers with. And, you know, the consensus was you probably got to go back. So I was able – you know, I ended up going back for what would be my fourth year, my redshirt mm-hmm. junior year. And I kind of told myself after that, I was like, regardless of how this season goes, I got to go. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I got to get out. I was able to graduate. But more than that, I just said, I got to start my journey at some place. Yeah, and if it's right. the first round, if it's the third round, whatever mm-hmm. round it is, like I just got to get started. But I think – everyone has that kind of unique story that goes mm-hmm. into those decisions. I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all. And then you start right. throwing in the bowl game situation. I mean, look a couple of years ago, Jake Butt was going to be oh, one yeah. of the top tight yeah. ends drafted. Mm-hmm. The poor guy, his career has really never gotten over it. Unfortunately, he gets hurt in the bowl game, yeah. tears his ACL, and it's been a struggle ever since. I mean, there's just so many factors, especially now, mm-hmm. that didn't exist when I was coming out yeah. that I, I don't envy you guys. I think the decision that highly. You know, sought after guys like you that are going to be top draft picks. You know, I just think in today's day and age, the idea of going back, mm-hmm. especially at the tight end position, maybe some quarterbacks and whatnot, but mm-hmm. it's a dangerous proposition. Yeah, I know it's
2: tough. I mean, I know there was a couple moments even during our bowl game where I kind of came close to you know, know doing something here and there. And like, you're playing the not, whole
1: game, and you're every game. pile yeah. every time it yeah. rolls. It's, I it's not an easy. That, way. that
2: was that was for me the first time I really. I, I kind of did something the, like during, I think it was like the second quarter of the game. And that, like, after that, I was kind of playing tentative where it was like, I remember right, I need to, I need to, I need to be careful here. Like, and that was the first time that's ever creeped in my mind. Cause I knew what was,
1: was on the line. Yeah. And now imagine if you went back and had to play 13 games that way, right. It, you would, it, you know, it's, can't, you'd be miserable. Can't, you can, you can't, can't play like that. No, like, you can't, you can't. It's uh now to change gears a little bit. The only thing <laughs> I know you were a baseball player, football player, were you ever a hooper? i hooped a little bit i know i i really just didn't
2: like it did you I, uh, do,
1: but did you do bookstore basketball at, at notre no, dame
2: coach kelly wouldn't allow us to do that so oh, we so had uh great. i know if i if i remember the story right though i know mike mcglin i don't know mike mcglinche with the niners the yeah. left, uh, you know he's a tackle he uh i think he snuck on one of the bookstore teams his freshman year and they found out and it was like a whole whole yeah. ordeal but uh no, they, they, they don't oh, let do it. I so know. for anyone
1: who doesn't know, for those listening, bookstore basketball is like the uh, campus-wide, in mm-hmm. essence, like intramural co-ed. It's a semester-long basketball tournament, and it's played mm-hmm. outdoors. Rain, snow, cold, doesn't matter the weather conditions, and it's played through the night in the day. There's no rules, and the games yeah, yeah. are played, and you show up. And it's a huge. I mean, it is like the biggest yeah, I think deal. There was,
2: there was over two hundred and fifty teams uh, last year. It's 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 crazy. You keep your own score. You you ref your own games. It's uh it's intense. It's pretty fun to watch though. It's. Good I stuff. didn't
1: I didn't realize when my brother went there, the football players um they were allowed, so a lot of yeah. the football players were able to play. I mm-hmm. remember playing intramurals in, in college, but nothing to the level that bookstore basketball was like the talk of the campus. It
2: was oh, it's unbelievable. The championship game was great outside and they had music blaring. And I mean, there had to be three, 400 people at this thing. Yeah, watching so the cool. champ- It's awesome. It's, it's pretty yeah. cool. It's
1: Notre cool. Dame is a very special place. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I didn't leave. I have nothing bad to say about the place. It just, my path was different, but I mean, you step yeah. foot on that campus. I mean, you can't help but just be pulled in by the history mm-hmm. and just the people that came, you know, before you and wore that gold helmet. Yeah. We all watched, I remember but the night before I left my after my high school graduation. I remember had a couple of my buddies over the next morning. I was gonna drive out to South Bend and I remember like watching Rudy and like yeah. getting chills. You're like, I'm gonna go play at Notre Dame, you know. Like yeah. I I you it's not hard to get sucked up into that whole yeah, it's cool. kind of it's vibe. Cool stuff. Yeah, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, obviously now. You're getting ready for the draft. You decide that you're going to come out. You're not going to go back after kind of debating that for a little while. How could you ever have predicted that you're going to get drafted to your hometown team, right? I mean, it's it's just nuts. It's like a storybook ending for a career. So, you know, talk us through that. So you go out, you train in California, you're getting ready for the draft. You know, who are you hearing from? When I got drafted by the Bears, I had like one unofficial meeting with a couple of their like local area scouts And that was it. I never met Lovey Smith, never met Jerry Angelo, had very little communication with any of the coaches. And then sure enough, they drafted me. So like, what was your process? Did the bears, did they come after you hard? Were they at your pro day? Did you think you were going to go there? Maybe somewhere else? Like what was that whole few months like?
2: So my first time meeting up with them was at the combine, but it was informally. So they kind of like tugged me to the side real quick. And they were like, Hey, like, listen up. We're not doing a formal, like, this was a matter of this probably took three minutes, and they're like, "Hey, we're not doing a form with you. We don't want people knowing we like you, but we like you uh, here. Drop a couple plays for us, and you know, we're we're keeping an eye on you." Was but it like, in
1: the train yard? Was it in the train yard in Indianapolis? Uh, it was in. They, they got this new convention. So they oh, didn't do okay. it this
2: year. So this new convention area oh, that, right. that they have right. us go into. So, um, but yeah, he. But I know we taught the train area. Yeah, our leader for like the tight end group for the uh, for the combine was was one of the Bear Scouts. So he was kind of keeping an eye on me, and then what but, was I mean, his name? Prescott okay we, so we had him and then you know Clancy Barone with the tight ends coach now there at yep. the time, just tugged me over real quick and um you know just told me hey like we're interested like you know keep doing what you're doing and you know we'll, we'll try and reconnect at your pro day or something obviously my pro day got, got canceled because of what's going on but uh yeah they they kept an eye on and then I had an informal meeting over zoom and the rest was kind of history from there on
1: yeah I mean I can't imagine what this process, I remember how stressed I was Mm -hmm. 15 years ago. And, you know, we had in, in in-person meetings, we could visit teams, visit facilities, pro days, and you guys have had very little of that. You Mm -hmm. had, you had virtually no communication in person meetings, no team visits. How much did that add to your anxiety? Like how much did just the process of potentially being an NFL draft pick, which is stressful enough, but then compounded with the world is turned upside down and everything that you had planned for really gets shut down indefinitely. And now you're still trying to navigate this to a draft that ended up being held virtually. Like I I can't imagine what headspace you guys must've been in.
2: Yeah. You definitely like psych yourself out a little bit. It was, it's kind of funny. Like I'm the type of guy that I don't really care about what other people think of me, but in this situation you do, because like, these are the people making the decision as to who's going to be taking you, you know, who's going to be picking you and what teams to be, you know, what team you're going to be on this, this upcoming season. So um, kind of not having those interactions. It was tough, like getting a feel as to what teams actually thought about me. So like me going to my agent, being like, yo, like, what is people saying? Like they're not, they're not really knowing because they don't really have that direct contact as they usually do. Like we're not meeting up as often. It's, it's kind of tough. So you don't really know like what people are thinking and you kind of psych yourself out not knowing. Like, shoot, did I make the right decision coming out? Like, am I going to go in the, you know, third, fourth round? Like, is that worth coming out for? Like, I, I don't think so. Like, you, you know, so it's so true. Like that. Yeah.
1: I remember sitting there at my draft party and like, you're, we were down in Miami and I'm like, this is the day we've been waiting for. And then like 20 minutes before the draft, mm-hmm. all these thoughts come in your head. Like, what if I don't get drafted? Yeah. I hope I didn't make a mistake. I should have went back to college. And then like 10 picks go and you're like, they're not going to pick me. And yeah. you start like coming up with all these scenarios. And yeah. It's just, it's a bizarre, yeah. bizarre For, for you,
2: so you were obviously a fringe. For, you got, what was it yep. 31? Is that right? Yep. yep. So like, how did you like, did you get that idea? Like, okay, I'm going to go late first, early
1: second. Or like, did you drop lower than you yeah. thought? Like, how did you deal with that? So, you know, so it's funny. The teams that showed the most interest to in me, the Jets, um, they picked in like 25. Mm-hmm. The Panthers were like 14. Yeah. Um, Those were the two spots. The Bengals were like in the 20s. So like those were the teams that showed the most interest, like took me out to dinner. I visited the Jets. Their coaches came to my pro day. Like They showed real interest. And then what happened was Darrell Revis dropped, and the Jets traded up with the Panthers and took Revis in the top 15. So that took the Jets off the board for me because they went up and took Revis. And then the Panthers fell back. So I was like, all right, I got the Panthers. I got the Bengals. Like, I still have some teams. Mm -hmm. The Panthers ended up drafting my college teammate, John Beeson. So then they were gone. So that was, like, 25. Mm -hmm. And then a couple picks later, like, 27 or so, right around there with the Bengals, they picked Leon Hall, who was a a defensive back, I think, out of Michigan. Mm -hmm. So now the creep starts coming in. You're like, holy shit, I'm not going to get drafted in the first round. Yeah, And then I'll never forget, I think the Steelers were on the clock at 30, I, I might be a pick off, but
2: mm-hmm.
1: and my phone rings. Yeah. And th- yeah. And everyone thought the Steelers were drafting me. Yeah. But it was the Bears and they mm-hmm. said, Hey, we're going to pick you at 31. And I was like shocked because I had very little interaction with interaction, them. And I don't know, yeah. you know, similar to your thing, I don't know if that was just a kind of a shell game or they were mm-hmm. just trying to hide their interest, but, uh, but yeah, so I found out. I So that was the last year that it was like 20 minutes before draft picks. So mm-hmm. back then the draft, the first round started on a Saturday at mm-hmm. noon. I got drafted at like 6 p.m. It was like six hours of the first That's a long round. Day. I think the year after that or two years after that, they changed it. Now it's like yeah. 10 minutes or five, whatever the time yeah, is. Yeah, whatever but, um, it is now. Yeah. It was a long, I was sweating through my suit. It was miserable. But um you know, it was awesome. I mean, to get yeah. drafted, I'm mean, sure how you feel. I mean, grant that I didn't grow up there, but to get drafted to a historic franchise like the Bears, unbelievable city. I mean, it's probably still our favorite city in the world mm-hmm. yeah, that we that we've ever been to. They were just coming off the Super Bowl, so here I am thinking, oh, we're we're loaded. We got Brian Erlacher and Devin Hester and Lance yeah. Briggs. I mean, we were we had a lot of really good players, and you know, we had our ups and downs. But you know, I my four years in Chicago were were unbelievable.
2: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: That's good stuff. But, um, that's good stuff. Yeah, so I, I know firsthand when I got drafted to to Chicago, it took like 45 minutes for the first Mike Dicka reference to be brought up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, it didn't take very long. And, and again, different from you who's been hearing Mike Dicka's name since you were yeah. born. Mm-hmm. That – I I knew Mike Dicka was a big deal. I thought of him more as the Super Bowl coach. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I really understood – or put into perspective, just how incredible he was as a player in the '60s. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think, I think the it
2: started with Ditka, and that's why it's so important to these fans. Like why the tight end position is now so important. You know, maybe that his coaching career also kind of helped propel that. But you know, that definitely is a is a staple that they want to bring out. I think the tight end position kind of is something that that fans kind of empathize for and like, you know, kind of symbolize with in terms of just a gritty guy, like, you know, willing to do the dirty work, but also like a guy that you can see in the end zone and they you all know, get catching balls and all that stuff. So he's doing it all. And that's kind of what and I think people from Chicago just kind of try and relate to. And I think that's why the position is so important to these fans.
1: Yeah. And I learned that sometimes the hard way. I feel like mm-hmm. the fans of Chicago, they appreciate me more now that I was gone yeah. Yeah. Than when I was there,
2: I think I think I think that's
1: pretty uh, pretty normal for most yeah, uh, for I, most um, players. You know, I had people all the time be like, "Man, I never wish you left. You should have yeah. stayed a bear." And I was like, "Really?" I was like, "Because when I was there, you guys all thought I sucked." Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I was like, I was the leading receiver on the team, and like everyone thought I stunk. I don't know. It was just like a strange yeah. thing, and I think that's fans, and I respect mm-hmm. it. And obviously, my time there didn't end the way I had hoped. Two thousand. Nine, I was our leading receiver. We made some offensive changes after bringing in Jay Cutler. They fired some of the offensive coaches, brought in Mike Martz in 2010. Early that offseason, Jerry Angelo called me in and was like, hey, we're going to trade you. We have a trade set up with the New England Patriots. And Mm -hmm. if the guy they're targeting – if the guy they're targeting – I mean, he told me this to my face. mm -hmm. And I was like, oh. And and long story short, they ended up drafting Gronkowski. He fell out of the first round. If he was gone, they were going to trade – One of their second round picks for me, long story short, they trade Gronkowski, of course, call me in the next day and they're like, you're going to be a bear. You're here. So I play the 2010 season. We go to the NFC championship. I don't have a great year production wise. It was a very different style offense, but I showed them that Mike Martz didn't want me for Adam. I had to like really like prove myself every day to even just be on the field. Granted, Mm -hmm. I was the leading receiver from the year before. It's just not how we viewed the position. And they were, and they, he told me that again to my face. Like I knew what the deal was. And after they tried to trade me played the season there, we had a great season, you know, lost a tough one to green Bay in the NFC championship. So now here I am thinking I'm going into my last year of my rookie contract. I'm going to get an extension. I've kind of, I've kind of quieted all the, you know, the questioners and the the doubters that I can play and I can play Mm -hmm. in this style offense. And then I go to my training camp at down at, down at Bermuda. Have you, have you ever been down to Olivet of Nazarene? No, Go- I haven't. I've never been down there. No. And I don't think you guys are going this year. No, right? we're not. We're that not. sucks. It's a, it's a really good training camp facility. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Um, so I'm down there going into my fifth year and I'll never forget it. I'm at a movie with Brian Erlacher after, um, after physicals. And my agent calls me. He's like, Hey, Jerry, Angela, just, just called me and said that they're going to try to trade you before camp opens tomorrow. And I was like, all right. So I went to, I went to sleep in my dorm the next morning, had breakfast with Lovey Smith. And by like two o'clock that afternoon, I got traded to Carolina, packed up my dorm, drove back up to Long Grove up by the facility where yeah. I lived. And that was the end of never went back. That's crazy. That's, yeah. that's
2: crazy stuff. I mean, I remember watching that and watching you growing up, like, and you know, my dad, obviously a football guy was like, you know, they don't use this guy at all. And then obviously you went to Carolina and and did what you did there. But yeah, that's pretty wild. So how did you handle the playbook change within, you know, a couple of days going to a new training camp?
1: It was tough. So so 2011 was an interesting year. There's a lot of similarities to what's going on now. Yeah, we were in a lockout. Mm-hmm. So we had no interaction with the coaches. There was no organized events. Um, I asked you before, before we got on, before we started recording, like that you're, you're training up in Chicago at like a local you know, high school or whatever. Yeah. So the 2011 season, me and Matt Forte, who's a buddy of mine, we would yeah. train together. We went over to Stevenson, the big high school yeah. there yeah. and got kicked out. Oh, they no wouldn't, way. They wouldn't let us train there. And we, and you talk about struggling to find a facility um, during the lockout it was very similar to this different reasons. You know, at least then we were allowed to like live our lives. Now mm-hmm. everything's just closed, but we had no off season. We had no OTAs, mini camps. We had nothing. Mm-hmm. And, um, it wasn't until we showed up for, wasn't until we showed up for camp and then obviously got traded to Carolina and had to start all over. And they had just hired Ron Rivera in 2011. That was his first year. They just drafted cam, you know, so we had a lot of new people and we just hit the ground running and training yeah. camp and, uh, the rest is history. That's awesome. That's yeah. Awesome stuff. So obviously, you know, I, I, brought up earlier, you know, the impact of Dicca mm-hmm. and, As we kind of segue into this next segment here, which which I think you're going to really enjoy, as you know, we've had some really cool conversations with some of the all-time great tight ends. And in this next segment, I think you're going to be in for a really fun surprise. So we'll we'll stop here and uh, we'll pick it up on the other side. Sounds good, man. We're going to take a quick break, so make sure you stay tuned for more from TE1. And the last thing, Coach, before I let you go, this past draft, um, 2020 draft, the Bears select Cole Komet. I was a young player coming into Chicago, not really understanding just the legacy of what playing that position meant, um, how much pride the fans took, what the standard you set that bar at. I, I I had to learn the hard way sometimes. It was not always easy. What would you say to Cole Komet coming in and realizing what it means to play tight end for the Chicago Bears. I think it'd be really cool to hear a little piece of advice from the guy who started it all to the new kind of young kid on the block.
3: It's not a right, it's a privilege to play the position for the Chicago Bears. Play it with class, play it with dignity, play it hard. Block, do all the things you're supposed to do. You know, a tight end is just not a receiver. You gotta be a blocker too, you gotta do everything. You gotta make the team better because you're on the field. That's
0: what I would tell him. And you got to understand, you hey, know, you're gonna have to sacrifice sometimes. You're not, you may not catch all the passes you want to catch. But when you're not catching the ball, you got to be blocking somebody.
2: You got to be paving the way for uh, your running backs. Uh, and and that's the way I looked at it. I never really, I, I can be honest. When I was at the Bears, I really never worried about how many passes I caught. I mean, somebody else would keep up with that. But I
4: mean, I did, I did know how many people I ran over. For. <laughs> I'm going to come away with two things don't ever lose respect for the game that you're playing this is a great game that's played by some of the best athletes in the world don't ever lose the respect for it but I will say this live for the next play you know I, I see so many times where people lay it on the line you want them to lay it on the line but you got to be smart about it live for the next play well, I think the thing is, what he's going to have to understand is that nobody cares that you went to Notre Dame. That's great. That's going to look great that I'm sure that degree looks great uh, if you were to go out there and get a real job. But don't nobody care here, because everybody's trying to feed their family. Everybody's trying to get a big home. Everybody, because this is not, you know, you're no longer playing for tuition, for books. You're playing for mortgages. You're playing for college tuitions for kids. That's what you're playing for now. And so for me is that you have to understand this is a business. You're in the business of handling your business. There's a difference between going to work and coming to work each day. I tell guys, I say, I had one simple rule. I say, I got to give them one reason to keep me for another day. One reason. Give them one reason to say, you know what? We got to bring this cold kid back for another day. We got to bring him back for another day and another day. And that's how I approached it. And I was able to get 14 years worth of days.
3: (laughs) I don't think it's, it's not that complicated. I think you better develop a burning desire to see how good you can become. And the way you do that is by studying the greats, copy the genius, and then as you copy them, Start to put your own spin on it. Start to bring your flavor, your, your smell to it. You know, put that stank on it um, because that's what I did. I just would watch those guys, see what they're doing. I'm going to steal what they do well, and I'm going to start to figure out what, what works for me in my style, in my athleticism. I, I tell this to everybody. Like, just r- read about it. Read about excellence, the mentality, because the mental aspect is what's going to separate you It isn't the physicality. I don't care how fast you are or how strong you are or whatever it is, your vertical leap. What I care about is do you really, really want to be a great football player? And if you do, if you can answer that question honestly, then you'll do whatever it takes. It's not a matter of if. It's not a matter of if you'll be great. It's just when. And it might take some time, take one, two, three years, whatever it is. Uh, but you will hit that stride, like I talked about earlier in the podcast, where the game will slow down to you. And you'll get to that way quicker is if you, be, you remain fearless and you remain open to learning new things. Always. You never, ever are going to arrive. Get that in your mind right now. You will never, ever arrive. You are always going to keep trying to get better and better and better. And you better obsess over it. You better love it. Uh, and that'll carry you for a long time in this in this in this league.
5: I feel like what helps me, we run very similar offenses. What helps me in this offense is the creativity, being your own artist. I like to talk about. Be, I, li- I like to be, I like to speak on running routes as being an artist. You're painting a picture for the quarterback. You're literally painting the picture, and at the end of the picture, it's supposed to look like something. It ain't supposed to look like Picasso, so don't get too creative. But it's supposed to look like something. You know what I mean? So you want to be able to when you're running, it, you're not running lines on a piece of paper you know what I mean you're 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 drawing lines for the QB in in, in live time so it's just always always be the creator don't ever let your the, the the drawings or or what's being put up on on the installs you know stop your creation of how you think you can get open versus different coverages and there are going to be a junk ball amount of coverages being sent at you throughout the league. So make sure you get comfortable with seeing these coverages come at you, man. One thing I learned from
3: Garrett Selleck as a rookie, and he was a guy, he was an undrafted free agent, didn't know he was going to make the team, fought for a spot. And he said every year for like seven years, because he had an eight-year career, every year he was like, I didn't know if I was going to make the team. But I just went out there and he goes, you don't think about pressure. Just go out there and just go play football. Go have fun. And the more fun you have, the easier football is. When you're out there and you're stressed, it's the absolute worst thing in the entire world because you play slow, you make mistakes. But if you go out there and you're having a good time, everything just kind of flows for you. Pretty cool, huh? That's some sweet stuff. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that
2: with me. That's awesome. That's some really cool stuff.
1: We, we just thought it'd be you know, such a great way to kind of close out this series, right? So I mean, you're talking from starting with Mike Dicka, Ozzie Newsome, Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle. I mean, you're talking some of the best guys who've ever played the position, the guys who literally epitomize the concept of TE1, right? They they are the the top of the totem pole. What stands out to you, when, whether it's one particular guy's message, whether it's one specific word? Like, I know what I hear when I hear that, but I think everyone picks up on different things, different – pieces of advice resonate differently with different guys. Generally speaking, like what stuck out to you when you immediately started hearing those words being shared by these guys? I think just kind of hearing,
2: starting with Dick, uh, like kind of that old school mentality, you know, kind of going on, you know, to Sharp. And then, you know, you kind of see like, almost like a little transition with Tony Gonzalez where like, he brings that hard work mentality, but starts to bring that flavor, like within the routes and stuff. And, and, you know, you see that with Travis, what he was talking about. And then, going on to George and him talking about, you know, just having fun out there. So I think the main message is kind of, you know, bringing that lunch pail type of mentality and then like, still being able to put your own flavor in the game is kind of what I kind of kind of got from that. And, you know, making sure you're having fun while you're doing all those things.
1: Yeah, I think it's so true. Obviously, I had the the privilege of interviewing these guys and talking to them for a long time. But now this was the first time that I heard that just kind of condensed into their messages <laughs> to you. And what jumped out to me and not even as a young guy, just what jumped out to me as someone who's played the position was there was really like a, a consistent thread through Mm -hmm. all of their messages, right? Like each guy had their different takes and each guy had their different message, but the consistent theme was this needs to be the most important thing in your life. Oh yeah. If you don't have a burning, unrelenting desire to be a great player, you will not be a great player mm-hmm. and they each looked at it from a different perspective right shannon's talking about you know give him a reason to keep you that underdog mentality that's kind of been shannon's whole career right i mean he was a, un, not a high draft pick coming kind of a guy who was forgotten and had a fight and claw and dig his way mm-hmm. and he always kind of carried that chip on his shoulder and then you kind of hear kelsey and tra he's got more of like a free flowing i mean if you watch him play It's exactly Mm -hmm. his message to you, right? Creativity talked about being an artist. Each guy's unique personality came through, but they all kind of shared this. You could hear it in their tone. You can hear it in their voice. They love playing football. Oh yeah, and they love chasing the guy who came Mm -hmm.
2: before them. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Because I've been watching a lot of Travis and and George, obviously, just because kind of they're they're kind of the guys that I've watched growing up and. Yeah, and um, me obviously. But go and ahead and you Keep obviously, going. yeah. Keep but going. you know, to hear those guys talk and at the end of the day just play ball and and have fun out there. How cool was it to hear Dicka talk directly to you? It's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, to have someone like that obviously like for me as as a Chicago kid. He made me nervous.
1: I, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. He, he, I was nervous listening to him tell you. I was like, yeah. "God, like Yeah. it felt like he was like almost yelling." Yeah. But- In my mind, he was like <laughs> standing on his kitchen table. And he thought he was giving like a pregame speech before and the that, Super Bowl, that, that, and he that was pumps like, "Me up though, man. That pumps think, me up. Like that. in my mind, that's how I like to picture yeah. him saying those words to you because I just think it makes it sound so much cooler."
2: Yeah, no, I thought that was sweet. I mean, that, that gets me jacked up right now. So, uh, pretty cool
1: stuff, man. I, I appreciate you guys sharing that with me. That was really cool. It's been really cool. And, and if I could give you one piece of advice, yeah, as a guy who's been down a similar path to you, you know, we share a lot of. You know, obviously with the Bears and some Notre Dame. I just think I see a lot of myself in your career. First and foremost, when I was a young player, I cared way too much about what people thought of my game. Yeah, I cared about what every article said. I didn't want people – like it, it, I was young. I hadn't really faced a lot of negative. Ever since I was a young kid, everybody told me how good I was and everything. Yeah. I, I I never really faced a ton of adversity, a little bit in college, but it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. They are going to find things to critique about you, especially as a young player. You have one goal as a young player. And this is what I tell every single guy who comes in the locker room, whether they're a tight end or not. You have one goal as a new young player on the team, and that is to earn the respect of your teammates. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you have to catch every ball. It doesn't mean – it means when you step foot in the locker room and when you walk out on that field in practice or a workout or a game, The older players look at you and say, hey, this is a young guy. He's going to make his mistakes. He's going to have his ups and downs. But this guy cares. This Mm -hmm. guy is completely, completely all in. Mm -hmm. And him being on our team makes us better. And I want him on the field through good and bad. He's a guy that I'll go and rally with and fight with. Like, Earn the respect of those guys with what you do every single day. Yeah, for sure. Because from there, the coaches will learn to trust you. Mm-hmm. The coaches trust guys who they know the players respect and the players trust. But it has to go in that order. Mm-hmm. Players, tr- players respect, coaches trust. And once you have that, who gives a shit what anybody else thinks?
2: Right, right.
1: Because nobody else knows anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that would probably be my first piece of advice. And that's kind of more along the lines of some of the older guys. So I, I kind of bridge a little that older school. I came in with kind of Tony. I never shared with Shannon, but Tony and I crossed. And then, of course, now still playing with Kittle and Kelsey. And then to echo my second piece of advice, which is more along the lines of like Kittle and Kelsey, a little more fun, free-spirited mm-hmm. type of personalities, don't make playing tight end harder than it is.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And,
1: and Kelsey kind of hit on it about don't run routes like they're drawn on paper. The way I always try to explain it to guys you have a basic concept of what you're trying to do. You have to be in a certain spot on time and don't fool the quarterback. But at the end of the day, just run where they're not. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? Like, yeah. let's not make yeah. this rocket science, right? If, yeah, for sure. Don't don't get too caught up in it's 14 yards, three yards inside edge of the number. Get open. Yeah. Right. And when a quarterback right. trusts you that you're gonna get open, it's amazing how many balls you get. Yeah. Yeah. I knew going into a game with Cam Newton whether it was the right read, wrong read, I was three yards short, two yards long. I knew he was going to stand on his back foot and he was going to let me win. And mm-hmm. when I turned my head, he was going to try to throw the ball through my face mask. Yeah. Because yeah. he trusted me and I took great pride and trying never to let him down.
2: Yeah. That's and that's stuff.
1: the respect and trust that you develop with your guys. But those would be the two biggest things that I would tell you. If you can harness that, your talent, all that stuff, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have been drafted if you didn't have all that.
2: Right? Yeah, that's good stuff. I appreciate that. That's that, uh, that's good advice, man. I really appreciate that.
1: You got it. Well, I thought that would be a cool little treat for you to yeah, uh, to cool kind stuff. of both listen to that back live together, yeah, that's and awesome. uh, and hear your reaction. So I'm glad you got as much enjoyment out of I got because just like you, interviewing some of these guys has just been an unbelievable. Oh yeah! opportunity of a lifetime to hear their stories and hear their perspective. So I'm glad you enjoyed that as much as I did. And uh, we'll pick up after the break with, with some more with Cole Kmet. We're going to take a quick break. So make sure you stay tuned for more from TE1. Now, more than ever, it's important to show support for your team and your community. Visa and the national football league know that local businesses help your community move the ball down the field small businesses everywhere are overcoming challenges in these new times thanks to teammates like you and visa because when everyone pitches in everyone benefits being loyal to local businesses ignites growth and supports all of us and our communities because they know where you shop matters visa urges you to support local retailers who are making shopping safe and reliable and remember Tap to pay with a contactless Visa wherever you see the contactless symbol to help support your community. Visa, official partner of the NFL. So we're back here on TE1 with Cole Komet, newly drafted tight end Adam Notre Dame to the Chicago Bears. As we kind of come to a conclusion here on this episode, Cole, we thought it'd be kind of cool to to kind of flip roles a little bit. This is the first time we've done it. I've done all the questions to you know to our previous six guests that we've had on here, but we thought it'd be fun to kind of wrap this segment up and now put me in the chair. Now I'm the the TE one who's now being interviewed, and I'm open. I'll share just as all the other guests, just as you did. And uh, with that, I now put you as the host of TE1, a conversation and of the evolution of the modern tight end, go.
2: Awesome. So obviously you as one of my models growing up, you know, as a player, as a tight end and kind of what we were talking about earlier with, you know, you don't really grow up saying I'm going to be a tight end. You love playing football, but you don't know that you're going to be a tight end. So I guess when was that for you? Like when you knew, all right, I'm going to be a tight end. Was it not till college? Like was it in high school? Like when did that kind of form and like, you know, your love for the position kind of came up?
1: Yeah. So growing up, my, my dad was our um, was our public school in our town, high school's head varsity football coach for mm-hmm. 30 years. He, uh, so I grew up in a football background. I had an older brother who was a great ahead of me who played quarterback. So that crossed quarterback off the list. And then I had a younger brother who was 10 years younger than me who also played quarterback. So somehow I got screwed and I had to do all the dirty work. I was the receiver yeah. Growing up, I was the running back. I was the linebacker. Like I just kind of did all the dirty work. And then both my brothers were groomed from the time they were able to walk to be quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I entered high school after playing all through Pop Warner as a running back. And when I was a freshman in high school, I was probably like six feet tall, yeah. six one. Yeah. So I was getting fairly tall. I was always pretty skinny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could I could run. But my dad just being around and kind of knowing the deal. After my freshman year, um, when I was ready now to play varsity as a sophomore, it didn't take long. That summer, um, we went down to the University of Miami. My dad knew a couple of the coaches there, and they started recruiting us when Butch Davis was the head coach. And uh, that summer, my dad was like, you know, going forward, you know, now you're 6 skinny, but you know you're going to be a tight end. You know, you're probably not going to be big enough to play defense at the next level, but you're athletic and you're tall. And you can catch. Let's start. And we could throw the ball around because my older brother was pretty yeah. good. And um, so lo and behold, I went down to the University of, Notre, uh, University of Miami for their summer football camp, spent a week down there, did nothing but tight end and competed against some of the best high school recruits in the country. And that was the first school that ever offered me a scholarship in person and um, came back. My sophomore year in high school, played on the varsity team as a tight end. You know, had my small little role as a young, you know, 15, 16-year-old yeah. kid and uh, played played tight end all the way up through high school. You know, by my junior and senior year, I also played, obviously played defense as well. But, um, yeah, I was recruited as a tight end out of high school uh, pretty much across the board. But, yeah, it wasn't until, like, sophomore year in high school where my, my dad said, all right, you're going to be a – you're gonna be a six four plus skinny white kid. You're yeah. not gonna. You're not gonna be a running back, bud. Yeah, right. So uh, it's time. It's time to move on and be a little more realistic. And uh, here I am.
2: That worked out pretty well. It um, did. That's good stuff. So I think one thing that sticks out to me and my dad, we always loved watching the combine growing up. And you know, whenever you would kind of, you know, chime in with the tight ends and stuff, we'd always love kind of hearing what you yeah. thought on certain things. So what did you see? What have you seen? Like from when you were at the combine till now, like the differences and like kind of, if you can expand on like what's really important, because I mean, I kind of found out like I stress so much about my times and like my, my vertical jump and like what my numbers were going to be. And kind of looking back on it, you realize it's not as those things aren't as big of a deal as, as they really, you really think they are. Um, they're kind of more of check the boxes and, you know, some guys jump out and you know, it's a good thing, but you know, those interviews and physicals are obviously really important. So I guess what have you seen from when you first entered, you know, from, from the combine and, and up till now, up to this point?
1: Yeah. So when I was coming out, um, I was on the heels. So the draft before me was Vernon Davis and he like blew the yeah. world away yeah. by yeah. running like four, 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 three, yeah. eight. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, looking back now, the draft, the whole draft process is you could stand <laughs> out in either direction, right? Mm-hmm. It's to say, is this guy, just a rare special athlete? And if he yeah. is, we need to know. Or is this guy just an absolute slug? Mm-hmm. And he's right. slow as shit. and He can't move. Like, I don't care how many balls he caught in college. He just, his athleticism doesn't translate. Right. And yeah. then there's kind of just like the middle ground. And that could mm-hmm. vary based on size. It could vary based on play style. But as long as you're like in that range, I think that a lot of the coaches then say, okay, nothing sticks out. We can now just use his... Tape to yeah, evaluate exactly. him. So yeah, I think yeah. first and foremost, the physical stuff at the combine just kind of filters out both ends of the extreme. And then you're kind of left with most of the guys are somewhere in the middle. Right. Um, but I remember when I was coming out, like I knew I needed to do something to like catch everybody's attention. Like I was not first team all American, I was not the Mackey winner. Hmm. Going in going into that season, coming out of that season, I was not like the number one rated tight end. Um I don't know if you remember a guy named Zach Miller yep, went, to, yeah. went to Arizona State. So me yeah. and Zach came out in the same, we were both in the 07 draft class. Yeah. And um going into the combine, like I knew he was the guy that I needed to distance myself from. Like I needed to do something. I trained with an unbelievable guy down in Miami, um, who I trained with like the first four or five years of my career and and still use a lot of his programs to this day. And um And I said, I need to go there. I need to weigh 255 pounds. Mm -hmm. I got to bench press. I got to get like 20 something, right? Like I can't go there and get 15 and just be a slug. Yeah. And then, lastly, I need to do something that jumps out at people in the 40. Mm -hmm. And those were my three points of emphasis going into the combine. And fortunately, I was able to do it. And from that point. I think it caused people to be like, all right, this guy, he has some athletic traits that we're starting to see kind of carry over into the NFL. You know, Shockey was kind of at the top of his game and Gates and Tony and you know, all these receiving type guys, especially guys who had come out of Miami. Could he be, you know, was I in that category or was I a step down? And I think my combine made a lot of people feel more comfortable that, okay, this guy, this guy's not just like a savvy player. He's not, he has some unique traits physically That can make him a special player at the next level.
2: Yeah, that's good stuff. That's cool stuff. So I talked to my uncle who he's he played 17 years and so he's he's been around and he's seen the game evolve. So how do you think the game has evolved from when you first entered the league till now? Like in terms of schematics, like offense schematics, how defenses have run, you know, kind of just yeah. that whole mentality. Like what do you what have you it's, seen to jump in?
1: I mean, it's changed a lot. I mean, just overall, just the style in which offense is played. Um, You know, I remember when I came into the league, it was very basic. Protections were basic. I mean, this was and this was only 13, 14 years ago. It wasn't that long ago. Right. But offensive schemes weren't overly complicated. You know, a lot of you know, you were either under center in the gun like now, but you know, there wasn't all the misdirection, there wasn't all the pre-snap movement, there wasn't all the jet sweeps, fly sweeps. That was kind of more like thought of as college and high school. Yeah. It hadn't yet translated. We didn't have like the litany of running dual threat quarterbacks. It was a lot more pocket passing and a little more traditional mm-hmm. um, defenses you were seeing cover two a lot. You know, that was kind of like the in vogue defense, you know, with uh, Lovey Smith and that whole Tampa two Tampa scheme two. that he brought with him from the bucks and yeah. uh, Leslie Frazier, who was the head coach in Minnesota, a million teams were using that. Um, and then every, so everybody else was playing single high man. Now everything's like brackets and quarters and yeah. quarter, quarter halves. And, you know, they're reading and they're pushing it the defenses have come a long way. I think the understanding of coverages has come a long way and the two parties, offense and defense are kind of continuing to battle each other for who can be more innovative. And, um, yeah. I think it's led to a really exciting game. I think as it pertains to the tight end position, I just don't know if we've ever been in a more prolific, productive era of tight yeah. end play. Yeah. I mean, there's been, like the exceptions to the rules and a lot of the guys we've interviewed for this, you know, obviously with Dicka and Ozzie Newsome and shit, they were ahead of their time. Yeah. But after them, there was like a huge drop off. And I remember when I came into the league, if you had five, 600 yards, you were like top 10. Yeah, Yeah. If you have a thousand yards now, you could be sixth or seventh in the league. I mean, last Mm -hmm. year in 2019, six guys had a thousand yards at tight end position alone. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just a new, it's just a new world, you know, guys, all these teams want to find a tight end who can run and be heavily involved in the passing game. Mm -hmm. And the ones who have them, they just utilize the hell out of them. And, uh, it's a great, it's a great time to enter the league as a tight end.
2: Yeah. I mean, I see that. I know, like, obviously there's some things you do differently in college, just based off, you know, uh, kind of the schematics of how colleges run with, with the offensive playbook. But I know, like, we look a lot at, you know, now teams like, you know, the 49ers and the Ravens and how they kind of use their two, three tight end sets and using fullbacks and stuff like that, you know, yep. kind of like in a, it's an old school look, but kind of putting a twist on it where, you know, you have these guys going out for wheel, wheel routes and going yep. field, shooting the seam, all that. Type it's cool. Of stuff. No, it is really cool. All right. So, another question I got What is your favorite restaurant
1: in the Chicago area? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I, I'm happy to talk about this because, okay. So good friends of ours um, are the, Mel- the Melman family who who own Let Us Entertain You. I don't know if you know a lot of their restaurants like yeah. RPM, like okay. RPM Italian, yeah. RPM Steak. Yeah. They own Wildfire, like up in the suburbs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they aren't. You ever been to like Hub Fifty yeah. One? I yeah. mean, they own like some of the best spots. Joe Stone Crab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so that's all them. And um, okay, I didn't know that. And yeah. we know the family well. My wife and I got to be friends with them when we lived there. And um, so, like our every year. Like we make it a point that we come to chicago and we just like eat our way through the city
2: yeah that's i mean there's
1: job. there's no better there's no better city in the country mm-hmm. than than chicago when it, if you appreciate like good food yeah hearty meals so yeah we're uh we're all about the chicago food scene and there's good, there's uh, no shortage of of options have you been to uh are you a burger guy you like burgers yeah where where do you been, go uh, have you been to
2: acheval or the loyalist i don't know if the, no Oh, you got, next time you come out you got to try those All, all right, right. I'll Line out the door, but definitely it. the wait. Uh and Loyalist is is also a good one. So definitely I love it. Out.
3: We're
1: yeah. I, like I told you our day our itinerary in Chicago literally involves around like breakfast, lunch and dinner and then there's like a happy hour and there's like a yeah. walk in to get a hot dog like a Portillo's yeah. hot dog on the street corner just to like walk around, you know. Yeah. You just you go to bed, you just want to like puke on yourself. Yeah, it's it's a fun time though. They got good food all around the city. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's good stuff. Especially in the summer, you know, you go, you oh, go over to, great. you go over to North Ave beach and yeah. hang out on the beach. Is that castaway still there? Um, if it looks like a ship. It's yes, like on the beach. Is, Man, is we we yeah. spent a lot of
2: summer days yeah. at that place. It's fun. That's fun. That's fun. It's a good spot. Yeah, it is there. That's funny stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's a good, uh, good place to go around and, you know, definitely you can eat your way through whether oh. it's dish pizza or going Best. to steakhouses or you know yeah, see, i
1: never got i never got into the chicago pizza i gotta be honest really? I, grew up, I grew up outside of new york city yeah so new york style pizza like That's where I'm, I'm used to growing up thin crispy crust but thin like the, the chicago pizza just was tough yeah well i brought
2: friends back and like they that they've never had deep dish and they have it and they they're expecting to eat like you know, four or five. You're not eating four or five slices. You're eating you one. Puke one or on two. yourself. Yeah, you eat one or two, and that's it. Like, it's I it. mean, don't
1: get me wrong. We we ate it. I mean, oh, well, yeah, I, no, I get I really it.
2: Yeah, I get that. I get that. So my uncle played in a Super Bowl one with the Rams in 2000 or 1999. It, it was 99, I believe, when they played the Titans. Yep. Obviously, you went to the Super Bowl. Uh, What was that ex- whole experience like? It's basically a national holiday for us. And what was that off season like? Kind of, you know kind of going through that? Was there like a hangover to it and kind of going to the next season? What was that all like for you guys?
1: Yeah. I mean, 2015 was just a special year across mm-hmm. the board. I mean, we started out the season 14 and 0. Mm-hmm. we hadn't lost the game. It was Christmas. We hadn't lost the game. Um, we just had really special energy. I mean, we didn't have a billion good players. We were just like mm-hmm. really good team. Obviously cam was the MVP that helped but like we just had like a great collection of guys who understood their roles. Nobody cared who got the credit. Nobody ever bitched and complained who didn't get the ball. I didn't get the ball. You throw it to him. Like everybody was just all in. It was just one of those years that no one could predict. And it just like all the stars aligned and Mm -hmm. we went on an unbelievable run. We were 14 and Oh, after Christmas, we lost down in Atlanta in a close game. Mm -hmm. And then, um, we ended the year with a win. So we ended up 15, 15 and one got a buy, uh, beat you know we had a murderers row of playoffs we beat the Seattle Seahawks we beat our Arizona Cardinals they were the next two best teams in the league besides us and then we drew uh Denver obviously in the in the Super Bowl and we thought we had a good matchup you know we were the number one offense in the league we averaged the most points of any team we we knew they had a great defense we didn't think their offense was great we thought our defense could control them and they did we just re We never imagined in a million years, and a season where we averaged thirty points a game that we were going to score. I think we scored like ten. I don't. Yeah. I don't even know. Four, I don't. I don't even know how many points we scored. Yeah. i black, blacked that game out. But um, you know, the the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl, from the moment we stood in our stadium and held the NFC trophy after we we blew out the Cardinals like forty <laughs> something to seventeen. I mean, we yeah. had, we crushed them. We little did we know. Little did we know standing there that we had peaked, right? Like that was the best game we ever played, best game yeah. I've ever been a part of. It was just amazing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Holding that trophy, and you're like, we're going to the Super Bowl. You have a week at home of practice. Um, a lot going on. You're getting, you know, your family set up, you're getting tickets and all that. And then Sunday you fly, we fly we flew out, we landed in um in Santa Clara, out there for the Super Bowl, and then the week of Super Bowl festivities come, and everybody warns you. They're like, you know, it's going to fly by. You know, enjoy it. Separate yourself. But you got to, you know. And it was a blur. We felt like we had a great two weeks, and we just they they just yeah. beat us. We just played. Yeah. We just collapsed offensively. We couldn't do anything. We made a lot of just uncharacteristic mistakes, turnovers, sacks, fun, you know, just a lot, and um, just couldn't pull it out so we uh that was a disappointing end to just an unbelievable season I mean, if we won that game you know you could make an argument that we had the greatest season in nfl history yeah, um, you guys were hot that year, but we didn't and you know it, it was tough to get over i mean it's still things that i think about to this day you know i, I still think about was that my only shot am i ever going to get another chance you know it's it's hard you know i got drafted <laughs> to chicago when they were just coming off the super bowl yeah. and mm-hmm. little did i know in 13 years i'd only be back to one and that was yeah. hard enough you know it's just it's so hard to predict that's why you just have to enjoy and cherish every moment and every opportunity because the good times they 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 kind of outstretch your grasp quickly and you want to hold on to them but sometimes you just can't and uh that season was one of those and we just never really recaptured our magic after that
2: Mm -hmm. so so throughout like your playing career like whether it's been in Chicago or Carolina and kind of moving forward is there do you got like a certain concept or a route that you're like, you know, this is my thing. Like, I love running this route. Like I can get open. I know I can get up on this, you know, 99% yeah. of the time, like you go, your, you know, whether it's cam or, or Jay or like whoever it is, like you go, like, I'm like, they know you're getting open on this route.
1: Yeah. And it's funny, you know, obviously becoming a free agent this year and having a conversation with a lot of different teams mm-hmm. and then just over the years before games, after games, talking to tight end coaches or offensive coordinators or just other tight ends. Every single guy is like, Hey man, what do you guys read on the backside when you're the single side receiver and the other three guys are on the other side and either I run like, we call it like a seven route, just like a yeah. speed corner to the sidelines, yeah. or then we'll stick it and we'll cross face to that corner and run like a post. And they're like, what are you guys reading? Like everybody is like fascinated by that concept because for the last 10 years, like that's where I've really made, that's where I've made a lot of my hay and Cam and I just really saw things the same way. And we kind of revolutionized that backside read concept. And it's just funny, like how many guys I've had reach out to me, coaches ask like, how do we coach our guys to run it? Like, what are you looking at? And then I would tell them, I'd be like, Hey, here's what we're looking at. I'm reading that flat player and I'm going to... And they're like, oh man, that's not how we were teaching it. I'm like, well, you didn't have me, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) you know, but it was, um, it, that's, that's my one, number one games on the line. Mm -hmm. I'm lining up back there, get everybody else out of the way. And Mm -hmm. I'm just going to attack you with speed off the line. And I'm just going to play off your leverage. I'm going to break in, break out. and, And Cam would just put that ball on the money and, uh, we we had a lot of we had a lot of success with that concept. Yeah. I'm sure that probably took a lot of time, you know, with with Cam yeah. to kind of get. We are fortunate. We played yeah. so many games together. Yeah, right, right. The amount of reps that Cam and I had played over nine seasons, mm-hmm. practice, walkthroughs, games. Yeah. I mean, to play with one guy that long in today's world is not common. Yeah. Um, so in that regard, we were both really fortunate that our careers aligned for as long as they did. I gotcha.
2: Yeah. So kind of leading into this this last little part for me that i have for you but um you know you're obviously you're 14 that right Yep. yeah so you're you year 14 so like have you thought about like at some point what you would what you want to do after football is over obviously it can't last forever so like how do you handle that like for me it just seems like you know i'm just starting and you know i haven't got to that point but like i know people that have ended their career and like they move on to something else but like have you thought about like what you want to do yeah. or like what you want to pursue afterwards.
1: Yeah. I think every guy who approaches the end of his career, like that enters his brain, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is all I've done since I was five years old, play football, you know, over time you have other interests and other things, but this has really been my life. And the idea of just one day it's over is scary to everybody. Right. I mean, that familiarity that, you know, every year you know my training starts now and i go to training camp here and the season like your whole life is scripted mm-hmm. and the idea that one day that's just going to be over and that reality starts setting in when you start getting into years 11 and 12 And the last couple of years i had some injuries and you know the you know the question becomes you know are you done you start mm-hmm. asking yourself like can i do this like mm-hmm. no matter how hard i fight it like am i still cut out to play i'm Going into your 14 with an open mind, you know, yeah. whether this is it or not, I don't know. But um, the one thing I'll tell you, and when I was young, I I was really sh- like very sh- hell bent and set on this. Like, I'm a big believer that as a young player, like there can be no plan B. Mm-hmm. Like there yeah. was a lot of guys that have a million different interests and mm-hmm. I'm going to be a whatever. There's a yeah. thousand different yeah. things that guys can do and play football. Mm-hmm. And like my plan B was like, I want my plan B to be because I'm so good at plan A Mm -hmm. that my plan B can be whatever I want.
2: Right. Yeah. Right.
1: Like, and that was my focus for a long time. And if anything ever took away still to this day, like if anything takes away from my plan A, which is to be the best player I can be for each season, I don't do it. Right. Yeah. And that's not to say that you can't have other interests. And in the off season, I mean, here I am for the last weeks doing this, but like, yeah, Nothing can ever replace your number one priority. Mm -hmm. And it was very similar to the advice all these guys gave. Like number one far and clear has to be to be the best player you can be for your teammates and then ultimately for your own career. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I always tried to practice. And that was something that I always tried to adhere to. And um, going into year 14, you know, it's it gets harder and harder. Trust me. Yeah. you start. Yeah. I got three kids and wife and trust me, it gets harder and harder, but if you want it, you know, for guys that it's important to, they find a way.
2: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, man, I, I really appreciate it. You know, appreciate you guys having me and appreciate you taking some time to answer these questions and stuff. And you got it. You know, I've been looking after you pretty much my whole life since I, uh, I've been watching football. You know, obviously when you got to the Bears, you're one of the reasons why I love watching tight ends play. The ability for you to go in line and go out wide and do those things that you do and kind of set an example for me and for all the other guys that are coming. And so I just want to thank you for that and thank you for the time that you gave me today and kind of putting that thing together of all those guys that as to what they had to say for my upcoming rookie season and career going
1: forward. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you being a part of this. I appreciate you saying that. You were the perfect kind of exclamation point to put a bow on this entire project and i think your perspective and your open-mindedness and your willingness to to absorb and take all that information in i think was a really cool way for us to wrap this up and i appreciate you being a part of it man yeah good, appreciate it, Greg. Thank good you. luck to see you. i'm sure we'll uh we'll cross paths at some point yeah no doubt no doubt man All right, buddy. take care right. thank take you care. i mean how cool must that be right so you're a 21 22 year old rookie You're living in a global pandemic. You've never stepped foot on NFL field. You just got drafted, but you haven't been able to meet any of your teammates. You're trying to figure out what is this world that I'm about to enter into. And I have the opportunity to sit down and listen for six or seven minutes to some of the greatest players who have ever played, starting with a guy that I'm going to go play in his shadow in Chicago and Mike Dicka, all the way through some of the best players that are playing at this moment and Kelsey and George Kittle and Cole Komet gets to sit down and hear these guys. I mean, could you imagine, I I think back to my rookie year entering, what I would have paid or what I would have done to have that insight. And then to be able to hear him reflect upon that, it probably, with all the conversations I was able to have, that very moment to me probably sticks out the most. Because not only can I relate to what it's like to pass down some information and pass down some advice as an older, more veteran player, It was just yesterday that I was him. I was the young, wide-eyed, bushy-tailed rookie being drafted to the big city of Chicago. I just thought that moment was was so unique and so special, and it's one of the highlights of, of this entire series for me. I think as I look back for what we thought about when we were setting out on this journey, and when we were starting to kick around what this series would encapsulate and what we were trying to get across, I think it it went beyond my wildest imagination. From the very first phone call of getting Ozzie Newsome and Mike Dicka and understanding that we could root this story as far back as possible in the 1960s when the position didn't even really have a name and be able to end it and kind of tie a ribbon around it in the modern era with Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. To be able to cover that span of time and tell that story is exactly why we set out on this adventure. It's exactly why we set out to tell the story of the evolution of the tight end position. As somebody who's now entering his 14th year in the NFL playing tight end, I think I appreciate the position more. I think I was impacted by hearing the stories of Shannon Sharp and Tony Gonzalez and Mike Dicka. I was impacted by now some of the guys that have come behind me, like Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, and hearing how they used to look at what I did and they used to look at what Gonzalez did and have now built that into their into their game and stuff that they bring to every Sunday. I never imagined in my wildest dreams when we started kicking around this idea that we would have gotten those seven players to share and open up and tell this story any better than they did. And it was an absolute honor and it was an absolute joy for me to be the one to be able to hold these conversations and host this show. And I hope everybody enjoys it as much as I did because this was a, a career altering and a life altering experience for me. And hopefully everybody enjoys it as much as we did. One is a blue wire podcast the show was hosted by me greg olson it was executive produced by peter moses produced by noah eberhardt and brendan lynch solomon and edited by brendan lynch solomon samantha mcgowan was an associate producer special thanks to peter raskin cover art and design by scott Reinen. special thanks to kevin jones maggie lanter scott Reinen, john yales and jackie westfall